Attention! This makes absolutely no sense. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Xander's Facts. The Xander's Facts Podcast. Hey y'all, what is going on? Welcome into the latest edition of the Xander's Facts Podcast. I am, of course, the aforementioned Xander. We are on episode 54 of the podcast this week. On Wednesday, February 16th. Thank you all for listening. And remember, if you like the Xander's Facts Podcast, if you think you're going to like the Xander's Facts Podcast and all the facts we've got on this week's podcast, remember, click the follow button on this podcast, download this episode, episode 54, rate the podcast, review the podcast, go on all your socials, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, all those Xander's Facts, that's Xander with a Z. And most importantly, tell all your friends, Xander's Facts Podcast, spread the facts, go do it. And then go subscribe to Xander's new newsletter. That's Xander's Weekend Facts. Oh, last Sunday was our first edition of Xander's Weekend Facts. We had a bunch of stuff that we talked about that we weren't able to talk about on the podcast last week. And next week, a new edition of Xander's Weekend Facts is dropping Sunday morning. So make sure to click the link in this episode's description to sign up for Xander's Weekend Facts. You can get it in your email inbox every Sunday morning. Because this weekend is the NBA All-Star Game, and we're going to talk about that, unofficially marking the halfway point of the season. That's nice! So that's going to be on Xander's Weekend Facts this week, and more this Sunday. Go subscribe to that. But this week, we are not talking basketball on the podcast. We are talking football, because there was a big game on Sunday. You might have missed it. Probably not. What are you talking about? But we're going to talk about that, plus we're going to head over to Europe. Talk about what's going on over there. Some not too good things are going on, so we're going to talk about that on this edition of the Xander's Facts Podcast. So let's get started and talk about the big game that went down on Sunday night, Super Bowl 56. It was a pretty good weekend for Xander, not just because of the Super Bowl, but I don't know if you knew this, but on Saturday, Chelsea, the Blues, played in the final of the Club World Cup in Abu Dhabi, and they won. So, world champions! That's a fact! Chelsea in soccer. So that happened. Then, well, this happened on Monday, but Virginia Tech, men's basketball, six straight wins. I told you about them last week. They beat Virginia on Monday. Big win. They've got Carolina on Saturday. ACC crunch time, but all that happened. But also, on Sunday... The Super Bowl went down. Big game. Another world champion would be crowned on Sunday as the Cincinnati Bengals and the Los Angeles Rams met up in Super Bowl 56. It was a great postseason of football. Wild card round wasn't too great, but the divisional round had four great games. The conference championships were pretty good too. Would the Super Bowl be able to cap off a tremendous football playoffs? Good question. Well, it turns out it did. Everything about that game because the game was another thriller. I thought the halftime show was pretty good. And LA showed up for their first Super Bowl in Los Angeles since 1993. So by now, you probably know that the Rams won. The Rams won 23 to 20. Are you sure? They won the Super Bowl. But here's a quick recap plus some facts that you're only going to get here on Xander's Facts. So these are not Xander's Facts. You already know what happened. But here's how the game went, because unlike last year's Super Bowl, which was the Buccaneers, they blew out the Chiefs, this game was pretty competitive the whole way through. The Rams took an early lead with a touchdown to wide receiver Odell Beckham Jr. in the first quarter, and they stayed on top through halftime. An Evan McPherson field goal 
and a Joe Mixon, the running back, pass to T. Higgins, gave Cincinnati 10 points at the extended break, while a Cooper Cup touchdown for the Rams gave LA 13 points. They missed the extra point after that field goal. And for Joe Mixon, who passed the ball to T. Higgins in the end zone for a touchdown, he became the fifth non-quarterback to pass for a touchdown in the Super Bowl. So Los Angeles was up 13 to 10 at the half. And under their head coach, Sean McVay, the Rams are 47 and 1 when leading at halftime entering this game. That lone loss came this year in week 18 against the 49ers. It's the truth. The Bengals got the ball to start the second half, though, and they only needed one play to take the lead. A 75 yard strike to T. Higgins gave the Bengals their first lead of the contest. 12 seconds into the second half, which is tied for the quickest second half touchdown in the Super Bowl with Percy Harvin's kickoff return for a touchdown for the Seahawks in their 43-8 win over the Broncos in Super Bowl 48. But that play did not come without some controversy, though, because Higgins grabbed cornerback Jalen Ramsey's face mask to gain separation, which allowed him to get into the end zone. It wasn't called and the Bengals took the lead. Uh-oh. Which they then extended with another Evan McPherson field goal on their next drive, which gave them a 20-13 to lead. But the next drive saw a Rams field goal, which made it 20-16. to But after that, majority of the second half wasn't too great. It was basically lifeless. The next seven drives ended in punts. Five of those were three and outs. Awful. So not much to talk about in the second half until... 6-13 left in the fourth quarter. The Rams got the ball down four points, and they needed to get to work. It ended up being their longest drive of the game with 15 plays, but also their most important drive of the game. It wasn't storybook, though. The Rams' offense had some troubles throughout the game, and in that drive, they were helped up by three straight penalties on the Bengals' defense in the red zone inside two minutes, which allowed a quick one-yard pass by Matthew Stafford to Cooper Cup for the Rams to retake the lead. But it's going to be a drive Rams fans are going to talk about for a long time. In 15 plays, it was the longest go-ahead drive in the second half in Super Bowl history. Cool facts, bro. The Bengals had one final shot, though. They got the ball back with a minute 25 seconds left. 43 seconds left, though. The Bengals couldn't convert on third down and one, which brought up fourth down with the game on the line. If the Bengals didn't convert, they didn't have enough timeouts to stop the Rams and the game would be over. So on fourth down, they try a pass, but defensive end Aaron Donald had pressure on Burrow, the quarterback, in just 2.2 seconds after the ball was snapped, which forced an incompletion and gave the Rams the win. The Los Angeles Rams came away with a victory, winning Super Bowl 56, 23-20 over the Cincinnati Bengals. The Rams became just the second team to win the Super Bowl in their home stadium after the Buccaneers did it last year and they become the first team in NFL history to win their conference championship and the Super Bowl in their home stadium in the same season. Fact nugget! But for Cincinnati, a remarkable season ends up just short. They won just four games last season. This year, they were in the Super Bowl. Their quarterback, Joe Burrow, wide receiver, Jamar Chase, and their head coach, Zach Taylor, showed that the Bengals are going to be ones to contend with for years to come 
in the AFC. This is not the last that you're going to hear of the Spangles group. I'm pretty sure of that. If you say so. So the Rams won 23-20. to They are Super Bowl champions for just the second time in their history, and the first time was in 1999. But that's how the game went. But here are some takeaways and some facts from that game. There's a couple major takeaways from this game, and I mentioned one as my key point last week. The Bengals' offensive line had to give Joe Burrow time to throw the ball, and they did not. Burrow was sacked seven times, which is tied for the most in a Super Bowl, with six of those coming after the second half opening touchdown to T. Higgins. The Rams' defense was on fire, though. They pressured Burrow on 41.5% of his dropbacks and had a 17.1% sack rate, which are both season highs for the Rams' defense. But the one thing that Cincinnati needs to do, they must do this offseason, is shore up that offensive line for Burrow because he almost got hurt again in the second half. The Bengals cannot let him take as many sacks again as he has this season. He had nine sacks that he took against the Titans in the divisional round and now seven in this game. It's been rough for Joe Burrow. Part of the reason he had that injury last year was because his offensive line was terrible. They didn't use their first round pick last year on an offensive lineman. They used it on Jamar Chase, which turned out pretty well. But The one thing that they need to do this offseason is protect Joe Burrow and shore up that offensive line. Quit whining. As mentioned, though, the Rams' defensive front stood out during this game, especially defensive end Aaron Donald. Donald got a team-high seven pressures and two sacks on Burrow, and rumors had been swirling throughout the weekend that if the Rams won, Donald might retire. He's only 30 years old. Of course, he probably just wants to get paid. One of the greatest we have ever seen at his position is currently the fifth highest paid defender in the league. Linebacker Von Miller, who was the MVP of Super Bowl 50 for the Broncos, he also had two sacks. And those two became only the second pair of teammates to record two full sacks each in a Super Bowl since the stat became official in 1982. The other time was Super Bowl 50, Von Miller and DeMarcus Ware for the Broncos. Those four sacks were part of a team total of seven, which is tied for the most sacks by a defense in the Super Bowl with the 1975 Steelers, the 85 Bears, and the 2015 Rams. It's all true! LA's defense definitely won them the game. But the Super Bowl MVP wound up going to wide receiver Cooper Cup, who has had one of the most spectacular seasons by any player in NFL history. This season, Cup won the receiving triple crown, which is most receptions, most receiving yards, and most receiving touchdowns in the league. He won Offensive Player of the Year, and he won Super Bowl MVP. The only other receiver to have done all three of those things in his career was Jerry Rice. Cup did all that in one season. He also becomes one of three players in history to record at least 2,000 yards from scrimmage and 20 or more touchdowns in the same season he won the Super Bowl. The other two players were Emmitt Smith and Terrell Davis, who both did it twice. Additionally, he joins Joe Montana in 1989 as the only players to win Offensive Player of the Year in the same season they won Super Bowl MVP. And he is the fifth Offensive Player of the Year to win the Super Bowl in the same season. Absolutely incredible for a 2017 third-round pick out of Eastern Washington. Ew-woo! That's a lot of facts! But Cup wasn't the only Rams offensive player electrifying the season. Their quarterback, Matthew Stafford, showed out in his first season with the Rams. Stafford threw for 50 touchdowns this season, which is tied for the most 
by a quarterback who won the Super Bowl with Tom Brady, who did it last season. The Rams definitely had to rely on Stafford as the offense only averaged 1.9 yards per rush in this game. They became the fifth team to average fewer than two yards per rush in the Super Bowl and the only one of those teams to actually win the game. Also on the Rams offense, wide receiver Odell Beckham Jr.'s first quarter touchdown gave him seven touchdowns for the Rams this season, which ties Cowboys wide receiver Amari Cooper in 2018 for the most reception touchdowns by a player on a team he did not start the season with. Beckham injured his left leg in the second quarter though and did not finish the game, and then on Monday, NFL Network's Ian Rappaport reported that Beckham is believed to have torn his left ACL which is going to make it a challenge for him to be ready for the start of next season. He is also going to be a free agent this offseason. This year's Super Bowl had the youngest matchup between head coaches, with Rams head coach Sean McVay at 36 years old and Bengals head coach Zach Taylor at 38 years old. Their combined age of 74 is also the youngest matchup in any NFL playoff game since the 1936 NFL championship game. And McVay is also the youngest coach to ever win a Super Bowl at 36 years and 20 days. The previous youngest coach to win a Super Bowl ever was Mike Tomlin, who was 36 years and 323 days old when the Steelers won Super Bowl 43. But on the other side, the Bengals came up just short. And now Cincinnati is 0-3 all-time in the Super Bowl. The average margin of defeat for those three games is four points. The only two teams who have worse records in the Super Bowl are the Bills and the Vikings, who are both 0 and 4. Too many facts. So there you have it. What a game it was. And the halftime show wasn't that bad either, I thought. Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Eminem, Kendrick Lamar, Mary J. Blige, featuring surprise appearances from 50 Cent and Anderson Pac. Even though I do like The weekend, this performance was better than last year. I didn't think it was going to be that great, but I did like it watching it. So I just thought all of it was pretty good. No one cares. So there you have it. That is the 2021-2022 National Football League season. It has officially wrapped up, and some people are already looking ahead to next season. BetMGM has the Bills and the Rams as early favorites for Super Bowl 54. The Rams, Bengals, and Cowboys round out the top five. Before we move on in the podcast, though, to the news over in Europe. Let's talk about some of the other football stories that are going around right now. There's some other news in the football world, which is pretty interesting. Let's start, though, with Washington. The Washington Commanders. You. Whose owner, Daniel Snyder, is in deep doo-doo again. Because on Sunday's pregame show, Mike Florio of Pro Football Talk had something interesting to report regarding the Washington Commanders. Florio reported that the 10-month investigation into the organization had a written report that was not requested by the league. The league screwed that up. And that report would have recommended that owner Daniel Snyder be forced to sell the team. But now, after former Washington employee Tiffany Johnson accused Snyder of new allegations in public at a congressional hearing... A new investigation is now being conducted by the league. After Washington said it was going to investigate themselves, the league said, no, you're not going to do that. And now the league is investigating them. And it is now being reported that these new allegations that are now public may be the final straw for the rest of the league's owners who have the power to potentially push Snyder out themselves. Hopefully, we'll see. Because 
That is, I just can't even anymore. He is so terrible. He's the worst. He might be the worst owner in pro sports. Ever. It's terrible. The team is garbage. The stadium is garbage. He's trying to build a new stadium, and he wants to use public money. You've got enough money to build a stadium. You don't need taxpayers to pay for a silly stadium for you, okay? Even when they should literally just use the site that RFK Stadium's on in DC, just demolish that stadium, build a new one on top of it, problem solved. Mandalute! It's so stupid. Washington Commanders. I mean, come on, give me a break. But that's not the only thing that's going on around the league right now. The Arizona Cardinals were potentially the hottest team in the league at the beginning of the season, but they fell apart down the stretch. Now there's some drama between the organization and their quarterback, Kyler Murray, because last week, Murray removed all mentions of the Cardinals from his Instagram page with no further explanations. Then on Sunday, ESPN's Chris Mortensen reported that, quote, Murray is described as self-centered, immature, and finger-pointer per sources. Murray is frustrated with the franchise and was embarrassed by the playoff loss to the Rams and thinks he's being framed as the scapegoat, unquote. Oops! However, the Cardinals do expect Murray to continue to be their quarterback, and this might just be an issue having to deal with finances as well. Murray may just want a new contract before starting his fourth season in the league. And then, on Monday night, Murray tweeted out a statement that responded to all the reports, saying, quote, I play this game for the love of it, my teammates, everyone who has helped me get to this position that believed in me and to win championships. All of this nonsense is not what I'm about, never has been, never will be. Anyone who has ever stepped between those lines with me knows how hard I go. Love me or hate me, but I'm going to continue to grow and get better, unquote. So there's all that fuss about the Cardinals and Kyler Murray, and basically what this is all going to amount to is probably nothing. He's going to stay with the Cardinals. But even without the Murray drama, it may be another wild offseason for quarterbacks. There's a couple of big names who could possibly be on the move this offseason. Aaron Rodgers, yes, the anti-vaxxer, will be in the news once again this offseason with his future in Green Bay uncertain and the Broncos hiring his offensive coordinator in Green Bay to be their next head coach. The 49ers don't seem keen on keeping quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo, and the Colts look nearly certain to move on from quarterback Carson Wentz. Plus, this offseason may mark the end of an era for Seattle, as quarterback Russell Wilson may be dealt this offseason, and the end is looking near for their head coach, Pete Carroll. Seriously? But nine teams parted ways with their head coaches this offseason and over the season. Almost all of those teams have now filled their head coaching positions. So let's talk about it, because the Saints were surprised when Sean Payton stepped down surprisingly in New Orleans. The Saints have now hired Payton's defensive coordinator, Dennis Allen, who spent two-plus seasons as the Raiders head coach from 2012 to 2014. The Giants hired Bills offensive coordinator, Brian Dable, as their head coach, who helped quarterback Josh Allen and the Bills offense light up the league over the last two seasons. The Chicago Bears hired Matt Eberfluss, the Colts' defensive coordinator, whose biggest task might be getting the most out of quarterback Justin Fields. The Denver Broncos hired Packers offensive coordinator Nathaniel Hackett in a clear ploy to land Aaron Rodgers. With another interesting twist, the Broncos are expected to be sold to new owners in the next few months. The Miami Dolphins hired Mike McDaniel, who was the 49ers offensive coordinator, for a year and has been 
49ers head coach Kyle Shanahan's right-hand man since even before Shanahan was with Washington. The Las Vegas Raiders hired longtime Patriots offensive coordinator Josh McDaniels, who's going to try to get the most out of quarterback Derek Carr in a loaded AFC West. The Jacksonville Jaguars hired Doug Peterson, who hasn't coached since he left Philly after the 2020 season and has last year's number one overall pick quarterback Trevor Lawrence to work with. The Houston Texans hired Lovey Smith as their head coach. He was their defensive coordinator last year. After reportedly looking at NFL quarterback Josh McCown, with Smith previously being the Bears head coach from 2004 to 2012, the Buccaneers head coach from 2014 to 2015, and the head coach at the University of Illinois from 2016 to 2020. And finally, while not yet official, the Minnesota Vikings are expected to hire Rams offensive coordinator Kevin O'Connell, who is of course coming off a Super Bowl victory, and of course was on Washington staff from 2017 to 2019. So those are the nine teams that have new head coaches beginning next season, but there is one more story, and it's a big story for football, involving former Dolphins head coach Brian Flores, and apparently Dan Snyder may not be the only owner who's worried about retaining their franchise right now. Flores filed a lawsuit back on February 1st against the NFL, the Dolphins, the Broncos, and the Giants. Flores accused Dolphins owner Stephen Ross of offering Flores $100,000 for every loss in the 2019 season, and in 2020, that Ross pressured him into recruiting a, quote, prominent quarterback, unquote, which would have violated the NFL's tampering rules. Flores also accused the Giants and Broncos of sham interviews, which were only done to appease the NFL's Rooney rule. Flores was not hired for any of the vacant head coaching positions this offseason. So that lawsuit has also prompted an investigation into Dolphins owner Stephen Ross, who may be forced to give up the team if the investigation by the league finds that he did indeed offer compensation to his head coach in order to lose games. Oof. And we're definitely going to hear more about this lawsuit later on in the offseason, so pay attention to that. But with that, those are all the stories that are going on in football right now. It is surely going to be an eventful offseason once again. So that's football, that is sports for this edition of the Xander's Facts Podcast, but we are not done, because after the break, we're going to head over to Europe, specifically Ukraine. Oh boy. Because there's some stuff going down in Ukraine. Well, potentially. I don't know. But I'm going to give you an overview of everything that's going on right now with that situation right here as the Zaner's Facts podcast continues. Zaner's Facts. Sanders Facts Podcast, welcome back. We did some sports. Now we're heading over to the news, specifically Europe, Russia, NATO, and Ukraine. Here we go! Because over the last several days and weeks, global headlines have focused in on Ukraine. Over the last several weeks, Russia has flanked the eastern and northern borders of Ukraine in Russia and Russian ally Belarus, along with Crimea, with over 100,000 military personnel. And as the days go by, an invasion of Ukraine by Russia and President Vladimir Putin looks more and more likely. But why is that the case? Well, let's get into it. Here is what you need to know right now about the situation that is going on in Ukraine. Sanders facts? So why is Russia building up its military presence along the Ukrainian border? Well, to justify the military buildup, Russian President Vladimir Putin says it is not acting as the aggressors in the conflict and instead 
the West are the aggressors. How is this possible? Because Russia does not want Ukraine to join the European Union and NATO. Putin is arguing that NATO is pumping Ukraine with weapons and that the U.S. is stoking tensions to contain Russia's development. NATO is the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, which is an intergovernmental military alliance which started in 1949 between 27 European countries, two North American countries, which are the U.S. and Canada, and a one Eurasian country, which is Turkey. Good to know. NATO currently has an open-door policy, which is based on Article 10 of its founding document, the North Atlantic Treaty, which states that NATO membership is open to any European state in a position to further the principles of this treaty and to contribute to the security of the North Atlantic Treaty. Meaning, if Ukraine wanted to, it could theoretically join NATO, just as several other former Soviet states have since the collapse of the Soviet Union. However, Ukraine has had long-time aspirations to join NATO, but the organization has not sent an invitation due to several factors in Ukraine, including corruption, lack of defense, and a lack of control over its international borders. Russia does not want Ukraine to join NATO because Putin sees NATO, the U.S., and the West as a threat to Russia and his goal to return Russia to the top of the world stage. Putin believes that eastward expansion of NATO would pose a security threat, which NATO has vehemently denied, as no NATO country has or is currently threatening to use force against Russia. Putin is demanding, though, that NATO cease any expansion eastward and end NATO military activity, which would mean pulling NATO and U.S. troops out of several Eastern European countries. Putin also opposes a NATO missile defense presence in Romania, along with a similar presence under development in Poland, saying that these could be converted to offensive weapons to threaten Russia. Currently, though, NATO has over a thousand troops stationed in the Baltic states of Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, as well as Poland, with 4,000 in Romania and 200 in Bulgaria. The U.S. also has troops not under NATO command in Eastern Europe, 500 currently in Lithuania, 5,400 in Poland, 1,000 in Romania, and 200 in Bulgaria. That's a lot of numbers. And the West sees those terms from Putin as basically unacceptable. And in fact, since the conflict has risen, the U.S. has put 8,500 troops on alert and is deploying 3,000 additional soldiers to Germany, Romania, and Poland. But these tensions between Russia, Ukraine, and NATO, they escalated back in 2014. That was when Russia annexed Ukraine's southern Crimean Peninsula and backed separatists who captured large areas of eastern Ukraine. Putin now worries that if Ukraine joins NATO, they could attempt to recapture Crimea. Russia seized Crimea because they argued it had a historic claim to it. But why is Russia focusing on Ukraine? Because after the events in 2014, Ukraine's yearn for NATO membership grew, and now more than ever, the Ukrainian population want to join NATO and align with the West. Putin would see that basically as a disaster, though, because he argued last year that Russia and Ukraine are one nation. What Putin ultimately wants, though, is a return to NATO pre-1997. Putin argues that in 1990, the West promised that NATO would expand, quote, not an inch to the east, unquote, but still did so. However, that promise was made before the collapse of the Soviet Union. So when that promise was made to Soviet President Mikhail Gorbachev, it only referred to East Germany in the context of a unified Germany. And later, Gorbachev said that the, quote, topic of NATO expansion was never discussed, unquote, at the time. 
Since 1997, NATO has expanded to 14 countries in Eastern Europe, including several former Soviet states. Those 14 are Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Poland, Czech Republic, Slovakia, Hungary, Romania, Slovenia, Croatia, Montenegro, Albania, North Macedonia, and Bulgaria. It's a fact. So, after all that, in short... Putin says NATO's bad and is trying to keep former Soviet state Ukraine from aligning with the West. And there's probably also no doubt that he sees this as a way to diminish U.S. President Joe Biden in the U.S. because, you know, he's a fan of Donnie boy. Nope. So the big question is, will Putin invade and what is the West doing to prevent it? Well, the possibility of invasion appears continually increasing as Russia continues its military buildup on the borders. However, both sides have reiterated that diplomacy remains as an option. Over the last few days, there have been several discussions between Putin, Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky, and leaders of the West, including British Prime Minister Boris Johnson, French President Emmanuel Macron, German Chancellor Olaf Scholz, and U.S. President Joe Biden. However, the talks between the two sides appear to have gone nowhere so far, but the West does appear united. NATO allies have reiterated that they have no plans to send combat troops into Ukraine even if Russia invades, instead offering support. That would mostly come in the way of military aid and sanctions. Poland has offered surveillance drones, mortar bombs, and portable air defense systems, while the UK, Denmark, Canada, and the Czech Republic, and the Baltic states have offered security assistance. Now, in regards to sanctions, these would probably have the potential to be the biggest hit to Russia. President Biden has warned that Russia would be hit with measures, quote, like none he's ever seen, unquote, if Ukraine is attacked. Biden also warned that he would consider personal sanctions on Vladimir Putin, and the UK has warned that, quote, those in and around the Kremlin will have nowhere to hide, unquote. Germany could also prevent the opening of Russia's Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline in Germany, which Germany's energy regulator is currently weighing approval for. However, the largest hit would probably be to Russia's largest financial institutions to hit them with sanctions. These sanctions would likely include export controls on components produced by Russia for the tech and weapons sectors, along with sanctions against certain Russian oligarchs. Not on the table, though, would be to disconnect Russia's banking system from the international SWIFT payment system, this would basically be a last resort move, and it would have the ability to cripple Russia's economy and potentially destabilize Russia. However, it could also have a negative impact on the U.S. and European economies, which has led several European nations to rule out that idea at the moment. There's also the question about China. China's acted as Russia's distanced ally in this case, supporting Russia in the Ukraine situation would they become involved as well? So, there's all that to consider. But then on Sunday, Republican Senator Lindsey Graham argued that Congress should be imposing stiff economic sanctions now, preemptively, as a warning sign to any potential invasion into Ukraine, but this is a strategy that both the White House and the Pentagon say they have not looked at considering right now. It's true! So, a deal is possible to stop Russia from invading Ukraine. It's possible, but it's likely any agreement would have to cover Russia's security worries as well as the ongoing war in eastern Ukraine. But a recent leaked document may prove key because a leaked document that was sent to Moscow 
by the U.S. and NATO says that the U.S. would be willing to start talks on limiting short- and medium-range missiles, as well as offering negotiations on a new START treaty on intercontinental missiles. It also says that the U.S. would provide reassurance that it had no cruise missiles in Poland or Romania if Russia provided reassurance on two Russian missile bases. So, that's what has happened, but where are we now? Multiple reports have speculated that Wednesday, the day this podcast comes out, could be the day that something goes down. What that something is, is unknown, but it has been acknowledged by Ukrainian President Zelensky. While initial media reports had said that Zelensky said an invasion is imminent, that is not what he said. He has tried to downplay the crisis the entire time to the Ukrainian people and has also asked the West to not overreact. On Monday, Zelensky said, quote, They're telling us that February 16 will be the day of the attack. We will make it the day of unity. The relevant decree has already been signed. On this day, we will hoist national flags, put on blue and yellow ribbons, and show the world our unity, unquote. So, basically acknowledging that the reports say Wednesday could be the day something goes down. No, no, not! But the U.S. on Monday announced that it is closing its embassy in the Ukrainian capital of Kyiv and is moving the remaining diplomats in the country to western Ukraine. Before this, the U.S. ordered that the majority of government employees leave the country, and Canada has also withdrawn their Ukraine-based military personnel. So, after all that, clearly the situation is tense in Ukraine right now, and a military attack could come at any moment now, on the country. The situation is definitely ongoing, but that is all we know so far about Russia's motives, how we've gotten to this point, and what could occur, what response could be made by NATO, the US, the West, if an invasion occurs. So this is also probably something we're going to talk about on this week's edition of Xander's Weekend Facts, which you should sign up for right now with the link on this episode's description to get the next edition straight in your inbox this Sunday morning. Same as Bog. But that's what I've got for the Ukraine situation, Europe, the news, sports, the podcast, Leaders Facts Podcast, episode 54. Thank you all for listening. And remember, if you like the Xander's Facts Podcast, if you liked all the facts we talked about this week, click the follow button on this podcast, download this episode, rate the podcast, review the podcast, go on all your socials, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Go follow, like, heart, whatever, Xander's Facts. That's Xander with a Z. And most importantly, tell all your friends, Xander's Facts Podcast, you knew the Rams were going to win because Xander told you. Xander warned you. Xander's Facts Podcast. And remember, go check out the Xander's Facts link tree, which is linked on this episode's description as well for everything Xander's Facts. And Xander's Facts is now on YouTube as well. Go check out this episode on YouTube with a very nice background that you can look at while you're listening to the facts. So there you go. That's episode 54 of the podcast. We will not be doing a podcast next week. We're taking a week off, but we'll be back in two weeks on Wednesday, March 2nd. So this is our final February podcast. But thank you all for listening to the Zaders Facts podcast. And that is it. That is a wrap on this week's edition of the Zaders Facts podcast. Thank you all for listening. And we'll see y'all with episode 55 in two weeks.